It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to a Thursday edition of the Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. want to thank everyone for tuning in this Thursday afternoon. And of course, you can always give us a call here at 251 Six nine four one zero five five, or you can correspond with us in the app. And another busy Thursday of sports that are going on because, of course, at five o'clock we will have our Tide and Tiger report. Drew the Armand will join us along with at five thirty Philip Dukes talking all about the Auburn Tigers schedule. And three thirty Mike Scarborough will jump on with us to to let us know how LSU's path to the national championship will get started at 4 o'clock. We have Lindsey Crosby already started to be joined, scheduled to be joined with us at 4 o'clock. And Michael Bronner, it, it's official. Yesterday, after we go off the air, you start looking at divisionless football in the SEC in 2024, and you just wanted to know who those conference opponents would be, whether you would be at home, whether you'd be on the road, what rivalries would we see renewed, or would we see any ended? Your overall thoughts on the SEC scheduling released eight games instead of nine. Yeah, so I guess the first primary thought would be, wow, it'd be nice if we could get nine games because, uh, you know, for Alabama's perspective starting off, obviously you're not playing either of the Mississippi schools, which is weird to see, uh, not playing Mississippi State. Well, what was it, the first time since like 1957 or something like that? Uh, 47. And, uh, 47, no, yeah, so uh, – and you're not playing Ole Miss either, which, again, it's not like even having nine SEC games would completely solve that issue because, like, you know, obviously Alabama wouldn't play both of them, but it's just going to be the reality of uh, Texas and Oklahoma joining the conference. You're not going to play every team every year, but you are going to get some cool matchups. I, I love, You know I love divisionless football. You know I love Georgia coming to Bryant-Denny. We talked about that yesterday. Alabama will travel to Oklahoma. Georgia, Georgia's got a... Georgia's got a nasty little schedule in 2024, yeah, don't they? Absolutely, and, and and we can start with the two-time defending national champions, of course, the Georgia Bulldogs. Of course, you know they play the Florida Gators in Jacksonville, but they will also play host to the Auburn Tigers. They'll host Mississippi State, and they'll host Tennessee. So, of course, you know Georgia – almost always sees Florida and Tennessee, but you look to where Georgia has to go on the road. They have to go on the road and take on Alabama, Ole Miss, Kentucky, and Texas. So with that eight-game schedule, to me, Georgia's schedule looks a whole lot different than it does in 2023. As it should. Here it is for 2023, Georgia's schedule. UT Martin, that's a W. Ball State, that's a W. South Carolina, that's a W. Mm. UAB, that's a W. 
at Auburn should be competitive. Kentucky, that's a W. At Vanderbilt, a W. Florida on a neutral site, that's a W. Missouri, W. Ole Miss, W. At Tennessee, that's probably going to be their toughest test. And at Georgia Tech, the end of the season. Now, don't count out Ball State now. You can't count out Ball State, but in 2024, here are Georgia's opponents now. You have Clemson on a neutral, at a neutral site. UMass, of course, that's a W. Georgia Tech, I think they'll win that one. Tennessee Tech, they'll win that one. But here is when it gets a lot tougher for the Georgia Bulldogs. In 2024, you have Florida, neutral site game. You have Auburn, Mississippi State, Tennessee. This, this is Florida you're reading right now? No, Georgia. Still uh, on Georgia. Sorry, go ahead. On 2024, Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky, Ole Miss, and at Texas. So if you're at Alabama, you're at Kentucky, you're at Ole Miss, and you're at Texas, no favors done for Georgia in 2024. So I, I personally feel if they're going to three-peat, it better be this year. Huh. This is the year well, that you need to go ahead. But – Here's the thing, too, Michael. You With lose two games. With a nine-game schedule, a nine-game schedule not being in, in the realm of possibility and the playoff expansion coming, Georgia can lose two to three games, mm -hmm. and I think you can have a potential playoff team Coming out of the SEC with three losses in 2024. Yeah, that was the uh, that was my next point. It's like, just as the schedule gets tough, the playoff expands, so it coincides nicely for Georgia and Alabama too, for that matter. Alabama's schedule in 2024 is is pretty brutal. I, I would say one of the three hardest ones of uh, of all the matchups that came out yesterday. I know Florida kind of. Florida kind of got the short end of the stick a little bit as well, but uh, Florida. I, I will say this right now. Florida has if not the toughest schedule in the country, a top five yeah. or top three. Let me back that up. A top three toughest schedule in the country. Well, we're going to talk to uh, Andrew Spivey tomorrow to break that down at 4 o'clock. But uh, So we'll, we'll get his thoughts on it, see if he thinks the Gators got screwed over a little bit. But that being said, yeah, I mean, I, I guess Florida probably has the toughest. I think Alabama and Georgia both have it pretty tough, too. Georgia fans got no room to complain. I don't, I don't really want to hear it from them, uh, you know, after what they're facing down this year. But, again, like you said, 14 playoff this year, 12 team next year so we'll see how that changes things well Alabama of course you do have Auburn at home so that that's great for the Crimson Tide There's one team in the country that's going to Athens and to Tuscaloosa in 2024 guess who it is you have Georgia playing Alabama uh, in Bryant-Denny which again that's going to be a whale of a matchup Missouri the Tigers coming to Bryant-Denny South Carolina uh, South Carolina's had a little success against Alabama in the past. Do I think they'll maintain that success? Not in 24. I don't. And here's where it gets a little tough for the Crimson Tide. LSU mm. on the road. Oklahoma on the road. Tennessee on, the, on road. the road. Vanderbilt, you might as well go ahead and count that as another home game. Because hey now. I, I, I attended that game a few years ago when you had Tua Tungavailoa and Jalen Hurts putting on a show and Alabama beat Vanderbilt maybe 59-0. to oh, yeah. Tua had an awesome play in that game. It was it was one of his debuts yeah. to Devontae, I do believe. And I, I think that when you're in a situation to look at Alabama, Vanderbilt, again, that there there's more crimson and white in the stands 
then there there is black and gold mm-hmm. for that Vanderbilt game. But going on the road to LSU, Oklahoma, and Tennessee, Nick Saban, Paul Feinbaum said he needed to look for a drink. Well, I, I don't think it's necessarily looking for a drink, but you have those rivalries intact to where you still are seeing Auburn. You, you knew they weren't going to touch the Iron Bowl, of course. But LSU, you were hoping that that wouldn't, wouldn't get phased out. The fact that, you know, you, you can't go 60 miles and see Mississippi State, uh, I, I don't see that really being a problem. Now, when you look at their non-conference schedule and adding Wisconsin on there, uh, along with Western Kentucky and South Florida, the Wisconsin matchup is always one that wakes you up very quickly. You take the Badgers lightly if you want to, and you'll get punched in the mouth really early. So the Crimson Tide schedule in 2024, not the toughest in the SEC, but definitely ah, one. It's right up. It's think, right up there, man. I think that it, it, it's not – there's no gimmies um, in regards to, all right, you can take this week off and, and come away with the victory. Yeah, the home schedule besides Georgia, obviously, is uh, – is pretty manageable. Obviously, you play Missouri, South Carolina. Uh, you got the Iron Bowl at home, which is nice. But, man, that road schedule is a gauntlet. LSU, Oklahoma, and Tennessee. Yeah, that, that's that's. And then you know tough. you're going to Wisconsin as well outside of the SEC. So, whew. It's, like I uh, say, you, you could have two or three losses, definitely two losses for sure, and still have an opportunity yeah. to be in the college football playoffs. And if you don't think that, again, give us a call, 251-694-1055. Who has the toughest draw here out of all the SEC teams that came about? Now, when you look at Auburn, here's what's interesting about Auburn. No LSU for the first time since 1991. No Ole Miss for the first time since 1989. No Mississippi State. For the first time since 1954. I'd say and Auburn got one of the better schedules in the SEC, but I also say that in the same breath with the fact that they have to go to Tuscaloosa and to Georgia. But that's not that's nothing new for Auburn. They do that every other year. But in that combination of teams I just mentioned, LSU, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State, first time since 1933, mm. they haven't played any of them. And when you look at Auburn... And their home games with Texas A&M, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, and Oklahoma. Welcome to the SEC, Oklahoma. And, of course, Auburn going on the road in the Iron Bowl. Also, you you love the fact that Auburn, Georgia, that rivalry is still in effect. I think that Auburn can have success at Missouri and Kentucky. But the SEC on the road is always tough for any opponent when you go on the road in the SEC, you've seen it time and time again. Even Georgia, when they struggle with Missouri, that's a game that Georgia really could have lost last year. And Coach Kirby Smart said, look, it's where we didn't have the focus that we needed to have in order to get that W and to dominate our opponent the way we wanted to to, to play them. So there, there are no games off when you go on to the road. and. If you are wondering, all right, well, Texas, welcome to the SEC, Texas. Texas hosts Mississippi State, Florida, Georgia, and Kentucky. The, the Texas game and 
also on the road, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Vanderbilt. What favors did they say? I think they just said welcome, gave them the welcome mat as far as the Longhorns were concerned. Yeah, Texas has some schedule. I, I'm excited for the Texas-Texas A&M rivalry renewal there. Who else they take on? They're at Arkansas, and I guess Oklahoma's not Neutral? a road game. Right. It's, yeah, it's in Dallas, so that'll probably be a pretty split crowd. Uh, you know, Vanderbilt on the road is is an easy one, and then, you know, get to host Georgia, get to host Florida. Texas, I think Texas got, you know, by, by, uh, by the schedules that some schools got, I think Texas made out pretty easy, frankly. Well, what about Oklahoma? Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma got it worse than Texas did. Oklahoma having to go to Bryant Denny. I mean, they're both hosting one of Alabama and Georgia. So, Correct. You know, let's call those equal for now. Uh, it's looking a year down. You might, you might not. You might rather play Alabama than Georgia, but we're looking a we're looking a year down the line. So we'll call them even for now. Uh, Oklahoma has to host Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think Oklahoma, go to Auburn, go to LSU, go to Ole Miss. Oklahoma got got the way shorter end of the stick than so Texas. So the welcome wagon w- was hitched up to to Boomer Schooner. Yeah, I knew you were gonna say that. The and, Sooner Schooner. And and, and and you you have you, your welcome party there. No favors done to Oklahoma, but that's why you come to play in the SEC. You know that these matchups are are going to occur, and and with Texas. You already have had back-to-back years to where you've played Alabama at home. Now, Alabama is going to host you. The only flip to that is, well, you kind of wanted to – I know I wanted to see Auburn and Texas uh, because that would have been probably four consecutive years you would have had an Alabama or Auburn team facing the Texas Longhorns. So – you know, unfortunately, Vanderbilt's going to continue to be the doormat of the <laughs> SEC, and that's not going to change. Vanderbilt. What a home schedule for Vanderbilt. Yeah. I Tennessee, mean, Alabama, South Carolina, and Texas. If you're a, a Vanderbilt Commodore fan, those are well worth selling your tickets for, for sure. Uh, I, I think you can make some money selling your your home tickets with that. On the road, Vandy travels to LSU, Auburn, Missouri, and Kentucky. And, uh, you know, new new blood at Vanderbilt. We'll see if, if they're able to, to get out of that doormat situation. 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us or you can reach us in the app we always love to hear from you in the app as well as far as who has the toughest 2024 schedule and is georgia's 23 schedule the biggest marshmallow ever in college football as far as from a defending national champion and at that georgia being a two-time defending national champion the final drive on wnsp 105.5 we'll be right back Hi, this is Philip Rivers, football coach at St. Michael Catholic. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And we just gave you kind of a short recap of the SEC scheduling being released for 2024 officially yesterday after the final drive. And there, there are some teams that really got the short end of the stick and there are other teams that I think will are quite happy 
with the eight-game schedule and the way it's revealed. And I did say that I do believe that a three-loss SEC team in 2024 can make it into the college football playoffs. So we'll see how, how that goes. And, of course, we're trying to check to see how the U.S. Open is going so far as well. And there are some golfers who have final rounds. And yesterday I picked Scotty Scheffler to, to win it all. And he's had a, a, a great day today through 17, four under. And of course, there've been some, some pretty good and decent totals today, Bronner. It's pretty impressive totals, as a matter of fact. Yeah, Ricky Fowler is eight under. He shot a 62 today. I believe he might have tied the lowest U.S. Open round ever with a 62-8 under, which awesome for Ricky Fowler. He's never won a major, obviously. He's a guy who's been playing a lot better over the last year or so. Uh, you know, it's a guy that almost lost his tour card a couple of years ago because he'd fallen off so hard. But, uh, you know, nice to see him leading after day one. Had a phenomenal first round. We'll see if he can keep it up. Xander Shoffley, seven under, headed to 17, so he could match him. As you said, Scotty is four under in third. Bryson DeChambeau is up there. Uh, John Rahm was, like, even. Victor Hovland's even. A lot of, guy, a lot of guys even right now. Gordon Sargent, amateur from uh, Birmingham, I believe, start. Vanderbilt is one under, so he's having a good day. I don't know. The course isn't playing as tough as it's supposed to. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of bothering me a little bit. No, so not we'll when you're shooting yeah. 62. Yeah. I no, mean, I, the course... Didn't bother a lot of people when you're shooting a, a, a six, even a 67. DeChambeau having that 67 final and through the first round, not too shabby. But when you start looking at trying to, to separate yourself through day one and day two, you shoot another 60 something and you already you know mm. you've made the cut but you're you're making it harder and you're putting more pressure on on the opponents who are sitting there trying to catch you yeah because i i don't think tomorrow around this same time we, we will see back-to-back 62s yeah i, 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 just, I don't think I don't, so I don't, either. I don't really don't think that that's what you're going to see that's not to me what you should expect from the u.s open 68 69 okay i i, I can I can think that that's manageable there, but it's back-to-back 62s. They're, they're looking at trying to make some adjustments for sure. And I, I know that there is baseball that is currently going on all summer long. We, we all love baseball, but there's a couple of things that I thought were pretty interesting with Major League Baseball. The, the Oakland A's reverse boycott. I thought was pretty funny to where when you look it on television, well. yeah, I mean that that's how it's supposed to go by the fans because if if you're in Oakland and don't want to see your franchise leave, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred, he he said he feels bad for Oakland A's fans, and you go from any day seeing maybe thirty five to five thousand fans at an Oakland A's game, and then all of a sudden you see in the boycott game, you see 27 or 28,000, that, that's when you start saying, okay, you know, where where was this type of love and loyalty to begin with? Because in the last 10 games, Michael, Oakland's 7-3 since the fans have really rose up. Now, 
the A's are still in the basement. Yeah. Uh, no, the team is like historically awful. It's I guess they've had a good last. You know, it's baseball. He ebbs and flows. You're gonna have you can't you can't go zero in one sixty two. You're gonna right? have to win some games. But uh, yeah, the team is horrendously awful. So. But the, the, when the commissioner comes out and said he feels bad for you, and Vegas, they're they're go ahead and giving the legislation is giving final approval to make the funding available mm. to build a brand new stadium. Doesn't matter what you do, you, you, it's kind of like the movie Major League, to where you're trying to get out of the basement, right? What motivation do you have to get out of the basement? And to me, whether the Oakland A's get out of the basement in Major League Baseball or not, is going to become irrelevant because they're gone. They're leaving. And you look at everything that has left Oakland, what's left for Oakland to celebrate? What will they – they don't want to build a new stadium now, which is one of the reasons the Oakland A's are leaving. You already have lost Golden State. Golden State's gone over to San Francisco, and now you've already lost your beloved Oakland Raiders – what else is left for Oakland to have? What are they clinging to? Like the Bay Area Warriors, I guess. I think it's the <laughs> same general area. I don't know. Someone knows someone who knows the California geography better than me. I think Oakland still claims the Warriors. I think the Bay, you know, I think it's all the same general area. But, uh, you know. It's that, just tough. It, it's tough if you're a franchise. But the reverse boycott, I thought, was brilliant by the fans and the fact that you're continuing to win baseball games. I think it has been awesome. And the fact that Major League Baseball is going to try to get the field of dreams here at historic Rickwood Field. Rickwood Field, Michael, is America's oldest ballpark. America's oldest ballpark. Built in 1910. And no one will really say whether the field of dreams is coming but it's rumored to be the St. Louis Cardinals taking on the San Francisco Giants in moving forward next year. I think that the success that you've seen in the past field of dreams, Kevin Costner, of course, with that movie, I think that's one of the best baseball movies ever made. Um, I watched it like a week ago. I mean, it, it, it's coming out of the cornfield is definitely a historic feat for sure, but Major League Baseball, all kind of money that the city of Birmingham is getting ready to, to put in to Rick Woodfield to make sure that the renovations are complete just in case. And, again, nobody can go on the record, but I don't see Birmingham allocating a lot of funds. And it's kind of like once the toothpaste out of the tube, the secret's out. You, you can't really hide it at all. So looking forward to seeing some historic – possibly Field of Dreams game in Birmingham, Alabama at Rickwood Field. 3.30, coming up here, we'll have Mike Scarborough to talk about the LSU Tigers schedule. Is it a cupcake? Is it a way to go ahead and find themselves winning the SEC West again? Mike Scarborough will break that down for us next here on The Final Drive. This is Jason Caffey. Thank you for listening to WNSP 105.5 FM.
Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Lavounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this afternoon. And of course, yesterday, the breaking news. I, I say breaking because the SEC officially unveiled it. Not necessarily breaking because leaks were coming out left and right about what the schedules were going to be. And one of those teams that is trying to defend their division title are the LSU Tigers, of course, beating Bama down in Baton Rouge last year. Mike Scarborough, owner, publisher, and recruiting analyst at TigerBait.com, joins us here on the final drive. How's it going this afternoon, Mike? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. A lot of great things going on in Baton Rouge. Of course, you get LSU Tigers and Death Valley all excited, naming who LSU will be hosting in 2024. They're going to be hosting Bama, Oklahoma, Ole Miss, and Vandy, and then going on the road facing Arkansas, Florida, South Carolina, and Texas A&M. If you had to kind of grade that 2024 schedule from one being very, very easy to 10 being very, very hard, where would you go with the LSU Tigers? I, I think it's typical for LSU. Um, uh, one thing that LSU has done probably more than any other school in the SEC is also scheduled a pretty salty uh, opener or non-conference opponent uh, usually on a neutral site, Wisconsin and Madison and, or in Houston, uh, West Virginia, um, Oregon at Jerry's World, uh, when they were uh, really in their heyday. Um, of course, uh, got Florida State in the opener this year, and then next year, uh, USC and Las Vegas. So I think going into this thing, knowing it was going to be eight games, um, and we were you know, debating it on our message board, um, you know, if you're going to lose a team, who would you rather it be? Would you rather it be Florida or Auburn? Um, I think you probably get a 50-50 answer from the fan base. Um, I tend to think that you, you, you didn't want to lose Auburn just because of the more storied history. But um, there's also been some pretty darn fantastic LSU-Florida games in the last two decades. So, um, you know, but the way this thing's going to roll out, eventually they're going to get to a nine-game schedule. It's not like you're going to go without seeing a traditional Auburn uh, LSU uh, more than every other, uh, you know, it, you know, more than a year or two. So um, I figured they'd get Oklahoma or Texas. That was the deal. Every team would get at least one of them. Um, we were kind of hoping here that uh, LSU would get Texas because there was a home and home. If you remember LSU, what really catapulted LSU in 2019 was beating Texas and Austin, and that's when LSU really started. Hitting, hitting their stride under Joe Burrow, and it was supposed to be a home-and-home. Home. Well, the, the return visit from Texas was supposed to be the next year, the COVID year, and we remember what happened with uh, the SEC going to an SEC schedule. So LSU lost that game. So I think a lot of people were hoping that, uh, that LSU would get Texas at home uh, this year. Um, I think LSU's probably going to end up getting screwed in that deal. Uh, watch what's going to happen in, in 25 LSU will end up in Austin again. Yeah, that, that would be tough for LSU to sit there and handle. But you look at Brian Kelly and, and what he was able to accomplish in year number one, and I, I think that 
he and Kim Mulkey both hit a home run. Mulkey more so because she didn't try. She already has a Southern draw accent. She didn't try to put on that that Southern draw accent that was pretty interesting by Brian Kelly. But he's been a winner, and he's continuing to recruit very well for the Tiger program moving forward also. Man, I tell you what, he is he has been a fish to water here. Uh, I know the, the national media got after him, and they still bring up him uh, doing a southern draw in a, <laughs> in a PMAC, and I was there that night. Nobody here re- that even registered with him. Nobody even noticed that. It was the national people that noticed it. And, um, man, he's all over town. He's peeling crawfish. He's, uh, he's enjoying uh, the golf courses. Uh, he's got a tan. He's a lot more loose at, at LSU than he was at Notre Dame. We all thought we were getting a stuffed shirt that was very uptight, and he is so far from that. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, what, what little Harry does have, he certainly has let it down here. Uh, he's a different guy. And I, I talked to the Notre Dame guys who see uh, the videos of him and the things that he, he the way he's uh, carrying himself, and they're like, we don't even know that guy. They're like, they, 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 he's just a different animal. Well, I will say this. The the motivation for LSU in the postseason, a year ago, LSU opens up against Florida State. And then that didn't go the way that Coach Kelly had imagined. And people were scratching their heads saying, uh-oh, here we go. You know, well, we're back. But you got to remember, a uh, brand-new system, a quarterback that uh, had just gotten there, um, and Florida State snuck in a week zero game. Yeah. Had LSU had a week zero game, just like Florida State, and you know what the, the mistakes that were made and, and the uh, special team snafus, what a difference that might have made for LSU. But that's water under the bridge. But it's going to be another important game this year in Orlando. Again, LSU-Florida State, the only college game on that Sunday night, ABC. Um, so it's, 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 a, it's a big showcase game. And um, I think if LSU wins that game, um, and you look at the way the schedule shakes out, that's why I think there's a lot of excitement here. Vegas has it at nine and a half wins of the over and under. And um, unless there's a rash of a catastrophic injuries in August, I say take the over. And I'm usually a guy who hedges my bets and, <laughs> and adds another loss to LSU most times. Uh, I think this team has every, every bit of the ability to go 11 and 1. Mike, I've asked LSU guests this before. Do you think that the fact that the Florida's the uh, and we're talking to Mike Scarborough, owner and publisher, recruiting analyst at TigerBait.com, but do you think that the way the game last season against Florida State ended and LSU could get nothing going until the final drive, and uh, of course is able to go, Jaden Daniels goes down the field and then they miss the extra point. Do you think the way that game ended had anything to do with Brian Kelly's decision making in overtime against Alabama? I don't think it did. Uh, that that probably seemed like a, a, an eon ago for him. By the time they'd gotten Alabama, but I mean, look, man, there was there, there was many weeks after that where uh, you know you were heading into the end of September. It wasn't until they beat Florida where you're like, okay, this is different now. But for most of September, the first four or five games, people were wondering if, if they could be would they would they possibly be bowl eligible, and then they end up winning the West. Um, of course, you know. Everybody was uh, upset with the way they played at, 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 at Texas A&M and uh, got uh, a thorough bloodletting against the Bulldogs in, in the championship game. 
Um, but Brian Kelly, that's where his transparency and, and I mean, he doesn't sugarcoat it. I mean, he'll tell you even with this team that has high expectations, he, he, he doesn't feel that it, it's where he, he needs to be, where he can, uh, in his words, withstand two or three major injuries at key positions and still keep on chugging like Georgia and Alabama probably can. Yeah, and I, so, I uh, the, and, and so that's what's been really refreshing about him is you ask him the question, he's going to give you an honest answer. And the access, the access that he's given the media here, the practices and everything else is beyond anything we've had here since Jerry DiNardo. Well, that's that's what I know as a media member myself. You love the fact when you have access, especially in preparation for big-time games and access to the players as well. And from a recruiting standpoint, what would be the biggest void that LSU will have to feel here in the 2023 season? I think right now it's really just uh, being – I don't think there's one position where it's so lopsided where you're missing a whole lot. I think, obviously, the weakest spot on the team when you talk about LSU and the DBU history, I think that's probably your weakest position on the on the team right now is corner. But they've got some very uh, capable guys, and they've got numbers there to find solutions. Denver Harris, of course, came over from Texas A&M. He was a five-star cornerback, uh, of course, there's a reason why he was dismissed from the team. Can he be the guy? Can he, uh, you know, get take that second chance and be a typical LSU lockdown corner that, that you're used to seeing? So I think that's probably the, the one position where uh, over time and in, in, in the early part of the, the BKF era that they've, they've got to get that back on track. Um, and Louisiana's going to give it to them. They've got some very – uh, marquee corners in the state this year and next year. Uh, got another uh, safety today, um, a, a, another a corner today, and, and multiple safeties already committed. So the, the, the DBU thing's going to be on its way. But uh, depth of corner, the quarterback is there. Um, you got Colin Hurley coming in, 18 commitments already for the class of 24. Uh, if John Emery ends up being eligible, they've got seven running backs. They've got a wide receiver group that you wouldn't trade with anybody. And now they've got enough offensive linemen with two uh, returning uh, true sophomores that were freshmen All-Americans. Um, you know, there you go. Uh, it's, and I think the defensive line is going to be uh, a, a, a gangbuster. So um, I think there's a whole lot of reason to be excited. I th now, uh, the other question also, special teams, there's a reason why Brian Poling is not there anymore. Mm. And uh, he's doing something a little bit different. He brought Jansen in to be the special teams coordinator, but the duties of special teams is being handled by all the other assistants. Each assistant has some component that they coach on special teams. So we've never seen that before. Curious to see what that looks like. Um, but that, that is the one unit from last year that uh, was truly a debacle. We don't remember what happened in the SEC championship game. Um, you just can't have those type of things. Yeah, I, I think accountability by coaches, that's that's pretty interesting. I've never heard of a coach assigning in the SEC or at the Power 5 level different coaches to handle that. And that's – look, if things go wrong, it's truly a coaching and team standpoint for sure. Mike Scarborough joining us this afternoon on the final drive. Owner 
publisher and recruiting analyst at TigerBait.com. And Omaha is upon us tomorrow. The LSU Tigers right back where they want to be. And you just have to – the purple and gold success, not only in Omaha, but with the juice that Kim Mulkey brought to the women's basketball program. LSU able to come away with a, a championship here in Omaha. It's a pretty – Impressive haul for Baton Rouge. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, look, I, I was talking to a, a major league scout just a few hours ago, and um, when we watched what this LSU baseball team was looking like coming out of fall ball, and everybody knew what the, he had done with the transfer portal with schemes and tanks and others, and then he lost three pitchers to injury, major injuries, that were really – uh, all SEC uh, that were SEC weekend starters. Uh, and Grant Taylor was every bit as good as Skeens, according to my guy. Um, and he's not there with you. So they, you know, were number one for what, 16 weeks of the season, uh, went seven and seven at the end. Um, and now they've been undefeated in regional and super regional play. Um, but, you know, look, you look around the teams that are there and how they got there and what Wake Forest looks like, what the Florida Gators look like. Uh, of course, LSU's got uh, Tennessee, who they're familiar with, won two out of three in Baton Rouge. Um, and, but uh, there's going to be schemes on the mound Saturday night at 6 o'clock for LSU, and um, uh, the folks in Omaha are happy because LSU's going to uh, uh, empty all the uh, the beer and, and, and they've doubled up their uh, alcohol orders at all the bars. Absolutely. Mike, I, I can't thank you enough for jumping on with us this afternoon here on the final drive and for everyone who wants to catch up and see all your tremendous coverage and it's the number one source for LSU sports and recruiting news. How can people follow you? That's it. Go to TigerBait.com. Uh, if you're an LSU fan, $1, you can try out a premium content. We've got a lot of free content there. Our YouTube channel, LSU Tigers on TigerBait. Uh, got a lot of baseball coverage from Omaha, so, so go ahead and hit it. There you go right there. We're going to exit with a little hold that tiger for you to make you feel at home. Mike Scarborough joining us here on the final drive. Look forward to catching up with you, hopefully at SEC Media Days as well. Thank you so much. Mike Scarborough joining us here on the final drive. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Coach Tommy Tuberville, and you're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Thursday afternoon. Want to thank Mike Scarborough joining us. A little tiger bait for you right there. And, you know, baiting the schedule to everyone here yesterday before the official unveiling. Again, I, I think that. The SEC as a whole, whether you go eight games or nine games, divisionless football is something that I think is what's best for the SEC, especially you're going to have to expand to nine. And when you do expand to nine, ultimately, I think what you're going to do is create another key robbery game that you'll have an opportunity not to have every other year because the first time since – 1954 
or since 1947 that you're not starting to see opponents. People just aren't used to that. And COVID was one thing, but to sit there and say, okay, at least I still am going to see opponents that I'm used to seeing. I think that, that that's ultimately where it needs to be. And I know that I was glancing over all the schedules that were coming out yesterday and, and was trying to amass and see myself who really had one of the toughest schedules out of all the teams. And I, I'm really going to say, I know that Georgia did have the, the cream puff schedule this year and Florida in 2024 to me has the toughest schedule, Florida, the Gators, you have Miami, Central Florida, at Florida State, Sanford, you have Kentucky, LSU, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Georgia, at Tennessee, at Texas, at Mississippi State. The Gators are going to definitely have their hands full when you start looking at their 24 schedule. And that's why I think that they have to have success this year. And because in 24, it's only going to get tougher. They're not going to have success this year. What, 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 okay, let me ask you this. When you say they're not going to have success, what would you say their win-loss total is? Because Utah is one of those teams, again, you saw them beat Southern Cal. Mm. You saw them give the Florida twice. Gators all they could handle. And, yeah, beat, beat Southern Cal twice. So what, what, what does it take for Billy Napier to, to get it done down in the swamp? Because I know they don't want to turn over – another coach here in 2025 and he still has to have an opportunity to get his feet wet but man that that 24 schedule is a beast yeah the 24 schedule is harder than the 23 schedule i'm just more inclined to think that they'll be a little bit better in 24 than they will be this year um so we'll see what happens but i i would I don't know what the over-under would. I think it's pretty low. I think it's like five and a half, maybe six and a half uh, is what Vegas has it set up at. And I don't know. I, I mean, I think they're going to be bad again. So we'll see what happens. I don't think Billy Napier is going anywhere. So No, I, I, I know that the resources are there in Florida. And there's no reason why the Gators can't compete. But when Tennessee elevates itself, I think that Josh Heupel and what the Volunteers – are going to do and, and having to, to, to play Oklahoma. That, that's what you love to see. You love to see a former player lead his team against one of his former teams. And, and you, you, you remember what you were able to accomplish, right? But at the same time, for Tennessee to go on the road at Oklahoma, how special do you think that is for Coach Heupel? Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure it means a whole lot to him. That's very, uh, very awesome. Now, for it him. means more than a whole lot, Michael Bronner. You're, you're going to a place to where you 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 shared and and fought for national championships, to where you yeah. broke national records, to where you found yourself. You think he'd leave to go to Oklahoma? Yeah, if it doesn't work out for Venables. Absolutely, I do. Mm. It's one of those mama's calling type of deal. Now, what he's able to to get the the Tennessee fan base to get excited again about football, especially after beating Alabama and being a top three program in the country. Yeah, I, I do. I think he would leave Tennessee, but going back to Oklahoma in 24, that's going to be fun to watch as well. 
Hour number two of the final drive right around the corner. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Hour number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with my producer, Michael Bronner, joining you this afternoon. And always love to welcome in our next guest, Lindsey Crosby, host of Locked On Form, senior baseball writer for the Auburn Daily. And, of course, Lindsey, there's the College World Series that we're setting the table for and preparing to get started on tomorrow in Omaha. Three SEC teams still standing. Yeah, and it's it's going to be really interesting to see, one, what happens when two of them play each other because some of your opening matchups are SEC teams playing each other. But then also, how do, how do their offenses adapt to the challenge of playing in Omaha? Because it's completely different in that ballpark because it's so big because the wind's in you just don't see a ton of home runs so what is lsu going to do what is tennessee going to do and what is florida going to do in uh in omaha it's a big question do you think that an sec team will ultimately hoist that national championship trophy for the third consecutive year of course 2020 COVID shut it down and the year before that you had vanderbilt winning it so the dominance will it continue as far as that championship trophy? I expect it to. When I made my official pick the other day, I said I had Florida and Wake Forest in the championship. To me, what you need to be good at is you need to have good pitching, which is something that Florida absolutely does. Tennessee has good pitching as far as the whole staff. LSU has a very good, the best pitcher in the entire tournament, but not a ton of depth behind him or in the bullpen. And so I think... Florida's going to take it. If not Florida, it's probably going to be LSU just overpowering people on offense. But bracket two was a tough draw to have both LSU and Tennessee in there with Wake Forest, who has been so good both offensively, but have also had the best pitching staff in the entire country. So I've got Florida as my favorite, but LSU has a good chance too, I think. It's interesting to hear you say Florida is the favorite, Lindsay. I think you're the first one to uh, to say that over LSU. It's it's just something when you look at what they do as far as ground balls, doubles, line drives, pitching, all of that stuff. The numbers just kind of say like, hey, Florida's got a good shot. Florida, they walk a lot, they hit a lot of doubles, they've got good pitching, and LSU has struggled. They score tons of runs, but so many of LSU's runs are predicated on 
get in home runs. They're second in the country in home runs per game. They're 162nd in doubles per game. And here's why that's an issue. I'm glad you asked. Uh, in 541 games in this ballpark, because Creighton plays there, 170 of those being College World Series games, no two teams have ever combined to hit five home runs in, in a game. You just don't see a lot of home runs. And LSU has done so much because of the home run that I worry about if you take that away, what is it going to do to their offense? Florida, meanwhile, they hit plenty of doubles. They steal more bags than LSU does. And they have an easier draw getting Oral Roberts and not having to go through Wake Forest. Well, I, I can't really argue with the fact that, <laughs> that Florida is definitely – worthy and we saw what wake forest was able to do in the second game against the crimson tide and absolutely send pretty much every other ball into orbit and over the fence and i, I think that speaking on wake forest alabama's matchup rob vaughn comes in and decides to go ahead and retain coach jackson not really unheard of in college baseball but i think that that was just a wise decision from a head coaching standpoint to to be able to bridge that gap and to have someone on staff as a pitching coach who already knows what your current roster is and to try to keep players from defecting in the transfer portal also i mean it's a very smart decision from Rob Vaughn when you look at kind of his, his background and how things work for him. Played at Kansas State, spends a little bit of time in the professional ranks, comes back, volunteers at Kansas State, is an assistant at Maryland, becomes the head guy. He's never coached or he's never worked in the South. He's never been in the SEC. And he even said in his press conference that they didn't really even try to recruit that much down here because it was so hard to get those kids to move north. So keeping Jay Jackson on staff, to me, was a very smart idea as far as he has relationships, pre-existing relationships in the area with the different coaches, the high school programs, and he's familiar with all of the other schools that you played in the SEC now that the transfer portal, for the most part, minus these three teams in the still in Omaha, the transfer portal's open, too, and he's played a lot of these kids. So... I look for some kids from Maryland to follow him here. I look for Jay to keep the exodus from being a lot bigger than it could have been. And I think they're in a good spot to get a couple transfers coming in because they want to play for a young coach with a lot of energy uh, while still having that relationship with Jackson. Were you surprised to see Colby Sheldon enter the transfer portal? Uh, it's something where he still has the option to come back, and I think ultimately he may choose to do that. But from what I understand, Bohannon and him did have a good relationship. So I, I'm surprised. I do think there's a good chance he comes back simply because uh, of what opportunity he's going to have there in his second year. But when I first saw that alert, as a person who follows Auburn, first thing I thought was, well, I don't have to deal with him anymore, and that's nice <laughs> because he just seemed to have Auburn's number this season. And um, it, it, I want good baseball players to stay in the state of Alabama. And so ultimately I want him to come back. But it was a bit of a surprise when I first saw it, yeah. Lindsey Crosby, host of Locked On Farm, senior baseball writer for the Auburn Daily and editor-in-chief of the Braves today. And we'll transition a little bit over to Major League Baseball, which is getting ready to get 
and to all-star form here as we approach the month of July here in a couple of months, a couple of things that have really stood out for me from a Major League Baseball standpoint. The, the news yesterday, I'm fascinated by this field of dreams and Rickwood Field being America's oldest ballpark that's built in 1910, possibly hosting a Major League Baseball game next year between the Cardinals and the Giants. I know Birmingham's allocating all kind of funds to get it updated and upgraded wouldn't it be awesome to see the field of dreams game right there at the world's oldest ballpark it would be fantastic to me i understand why they brought the giants because i mean it's just i don't understand how you don't find a way to get the braves in there as the closest team and something where uh it would have been fantastic to have that, that local team in, but just bringing professional baseball back to the state of Alabama, you're doing something here at Rickwood field. I would love to eventually do something in mobile as well. Uh, and, and spread the field of dreams. I like it. It's more than just in Iowa. Now uh, it's, if it's the Cardinals and the giants, it's going to be a really good game. It, like you said, oldest ballpark, I think it was 1910 yeah. is when it was opened. And if nothing else, I just love the fact that, this has been the impetus to get a lot of uh, funds into the revitalization of the ballpark, doing some upgrades, some restorations, so that the next generation can enjoy it as well. Also, Major League Baseball of interest today, the, the Major League Baseball commissioner, Rob Manfred, chimes in and says he feels bad for Oakland A's fans and the reverse boycott uh, where they had 27,000 fans instead of 4,000 was a tremendous success. But I, I, I was interested to see that the commissioner chimed in feeling bad for Oakland A's fans. Yeah, uh, it, I don't think he's actually feeling that bad. It's something, one of the quotes that stood out to me in that conversation, that press conference that he had, he was asked about the number of fans, and he said, it's great to see what is this year almost an average Major League Baseball crowd in that facility for one night. A little bit, little bit patronizing, a little bit demeaning. Uh, the, the Oakland A's have been destined to move to Las Vegas for the last few years, and I've got different reasons why I don't think that Las Vegas is the best place for a baseball team. It's a different environment than you get for a football team who plays eight or nine home games a year, and I don't quite know if it's going to work in Vegas, but I know that Oakland, it's a good fan base. It's good fans. You saw from that reverse boycott, the passion is there from the fans. You can get the attendance if you would even try. And it's just a shame that these Oakland fans are so passionate, care so much, and they're going to have their team taken away from them uh, by a billionaire owner who's going to run off to Vegas. But uh, it was it was more classic Rob Manfred just kind of sticking his foot in his mouth and not really being able to read the room that well. So. Uh, the only the only constant in baseball is that Rob Manfred is the worst ambassador for baseball. <laughs> I love that hot take right there. And your Atlanta Braves, eight and two in their last 10 games, continuing to play hot and great bas uh, baseball. You have the Rockies that the Braves are, are going to take on. Will Atlanta continue its winning ways? It absolutely feels like they're going through. The Rockies have had a really tough year. Obviously, they do even worse on the road than they do at home. And the Braves, incredibly hot right now. They've won nine of the last 11. They've won the last four series. And their run differential, plus 72, it's like third best in all of baseball. And so 
we saw Atlanta make a little bit of changes for this series, like Matt Olson's batting fifth instead of second. But for the most part, Atlanta's been pretty consistent. This is the lineup we have. We've got six players in double figures for home runs. Ronald Acuna Jr. is just short of 30 stolen bases already. I feel good about the pitching matchups in this series. I feel good about being able to hold their offense down because they just don't hit the same when they're not uh, at a mile high in elevation. And so I like Atlanta going three and one this weekend and just continuing this dominance in the month of June against bad teams and building that divisional lead. July gets cranked up and from the ultimate all-star standpoint, do you you think the Braves would possibly put more all-stars on the, in the game than any other team in the major leagues, or will it kind of be Braves fatigue? When you've seen some of the preliminary voting, there's already three or four Braves that are uh, not only leading their positions in voting, but Ronald Acuna is number one in all of baseball in votes, even more than Shohei Otani. And they had, I think it was seven players that were either uh, lined up to be in or like the first alternates. And so I think by the time the actual game comes around and you have some guys who drop out because of injury or things like that, you're going to end up with probably about seven or eight Atlanta Braves. And it's, it's, it's going to be, it's probably going to be the most of any team simply because the Braves are getting those balanced, that balanced contribution from just about everybody. Whereas most teams are carried by a couple individual players like Pete Alonso carrying the Mets and things like that. So I feel like you're going to end up when the all-star game comes around, you'll have seven or eight Atlanta Braves in there. Any other surprising stories here within the last couple of weeks of June? Because the calendar turns so quickly, it's All-Star Week, and then next thing you know, you're you're looking at making noise in October for sure. But as far as any any really surprises from any division, American or national? But we all knew the Oakland A's were bad, over 50 losses. We knew the Kansas City Royals were bad, over 50 losses. But I don't think we, we all realized that St. Louis was going to be this bad. We've talked about it a few times, like, oh, wow, they started off kind of slow. They're 27 and 42. St. Louis has a worse record than the Washington Nationals. They have a worse record than the Colorado Rockies. It's, it's the worst record in the National League. And a team as talented as this, with as many fantastic players like last year's MVP, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, to be this bad – Uh, I think there's a possibility they may end up making some pretty significant trades at the trade deadline. They're the team that nobody's really talking about as far as having things to trade. I think you may see quite a few guys leaving St. Louis this summer. Without question, you're our our go-to from a Major League Baseball standpoint and appreciate you chiming in about the College World Series and, and your favorite, the Florida Gators. We'll see how much Gator bait is able to be made this weekend in the College World Series. Lindsey Crosby, how can people follow all of your Auburn coverage as well as your Braves coverage? Thank you for the question. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. It's the hub for everything. The professional baseball, bravestoday.com. The minor league baseball, locked in MLB prospects, available wherever you get your podcast, And the college baseball, auburndaily.com. Lindsey Crosby, thank you for your time this afternoon, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. Talk to you later.
Lindsey Crosby joining us here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. You can always give us a call 251-694-1055 or you can reach us and contact us in the app as well. The final drive will be right back. This is Richie Riley, the head men's basketball coach of South Alabama. There's nothing better than listening to WNSP Sports Radio, 105.5 FM. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Want to thank Lindsey Crosby for jumping on and talking a little College World Series along with major and minor league baseball all wrapped up in one. And what was wrapped up today were the Denver Nuggets officially celebrating their first ever world championship 47 years it took this franchise to go ahead and and make themselves a world champion and it was again going back to the other night when they won it it was one of the most subdued championships I've ever seen in regards to celebrations are concerned. Today was was really a 180 of what everyone was able to see with the Denver Nuggets winning the world championship at home. And Jokic is easily the best player on the planet right now. And you during his championship celebration at home, he was talking about wanting to go home to Serbia and wanting to skip the parade and not being a part of that, which is something you don't hear someone say a lot of times. But today, the Denver Nuggets in beautiful weather, along with just a sea of humanity at this celebration for the Denver Nuggets, Jokic chimed in about what the parade meant to him. Thank you, though. You know that I, I told that uh, I don't want to stay on parade, but uh, he want to stay on parade. This is the best. This is amazing. This is uh, we all gonna remember this the, our whole lives and uh, and when we see you guys that uh, came out on the streets and uh, actually this one is for you. We love you, Denver. This one is for you. Thank you, guys. More emotion out of the Joker than you saw after they won the championship. I know it's probably relief, but to, to see the, the excitement and to see his voice level change hmm. and to see him say, look, I thank you, Denver. And it's, it's just a whole different side of what you saw from him after they won the world championship the other night. Yeah, it was nice to see. Obviously, we were talking about the fact that, you know, is this guy a, even a human being? Is he a robot? And uh, I, I guess it hadn't really set in for him yet. So, you know, nice to see uh, him being a little bit more human today at the parade. It, it really was. And, and it, sometimes it takes a couple of days for things to really set in and you look at the job that the Denver Nuggets head coach was able to do and Mike Malone and you knew you saw him not necessarily become emotional because really Murray was the only guy you saw with kind of tears in their eyes and coach Malone he was just ready to go ahead and pop champagne and drink all he could handle 
during the celebration in Denver. But today, a lot more emotional, and you got a chance to to see a, le a little bit of that. You know what's funny about this? <laughs> Jared Bednar, coach of the Avalanche, told me, that, I said, when did it hit you? He said, I to parade. And uh, he's hitting me right now. And two... And, and uh, for me, I'm sorry. Take your time. For me, to share it with our fans, that means the world to me. Uh, this is an amazing experience. Something that I believed in. I had no doubt that we'd get to this point. I had no doubt because of the people I work with every day. From, from Josh and Stan Kroenke to Calvin Booth in his front office, from my coaching staff, and most importantly, the 17 plays in that locker room. So for me, just taking the time to reflect and own the moment. Life's about moments. It is. Life's about moments. And what we just accomplished, 47 years in the making. And I just am so happy, not for me, not for our players, but for our fans. We have people that have been supporting this team for 47 years. And so to those fans for 47 years, I just want to say thank you for being patient. Thank you for believing in us. And thank you for enjoying this journey, this process. Because we couldn't have done this without you. So, Nuggets Nation, I love you. Nuggets Nation having an opportunity to support the Joker and Coach Mike Malone in both of those audio clips. And both of those clips coming from the Denver Nuggets championship parade today. But, but you love the fact that you're able to see a lot of emotion out of all involved. Of course, you, you can't have a championships parade or celebration without some of the players ripping their shirts off or, or taking it off and tossing it to the crowd. So you, you, you saw KCP have a lot of that. And I, I'm just I was good. I was happy to see the Denver Nuggets fan base after 47 years of waiting because we just talked about it yesterday. The amount of time it took the Stanley Cup winners, the Vegas Golden Knights, to win their first Stanley Cup, doing so in their sixth season of existence. Again, the Diamondbacks doing it in their fourth season. And here it is, a franchise for 47 years, has an opportunity to celebrate and just party. And now maybe the Joker can get back to Serbia and get back to his horses and really enjoy it. Yeah, they were racing on Sunday, so uh, so we'll have to see if he makes it back for that. Well, also, you, you have the NBA draft coming up in about a week from today. And, and the questions in a week from today are – not is who going to go number one because that Wimbayama is definitely going number one. The, without the Spurs, you might as well go ahead and print up T-shirts, jerseys, or whatever you want to have in regards to him. But the question, the burning question is going to be who goes at, at number two? 
Will it be Brandon Miller at number two? Will it be Scoot at number two? I think that's going to be something that a lot of people are going to be talking about over this next week and the the, the odds of who is going to go number two here, who is going to go number three? Will there be the type of trades that we saw on NFL draft nights, the three nights of the NFL draft or those three days, we saw the most ever and the most ever movement amongst teams trading up, trading down, trying to get personnel. Will that same thing be in effect for the NBA draft that's a week from today? I think we will see a lot of movement. I think that that's probably, as a player, one of the worst things that you could see because I know a year ago you you, you see – a player get traded three times before there's ever even a jump ball. And it, you put on three different hats not knowing where you're going. It is a business. But at the same time, you want to know that a franchise loves you and wants you and you think you're ready to call your agent or your family and tell them, hey, look, we're going to Portland or we're going to Phoenix or we're going to Miami. And then all of a sudden. Yeah, it's not the go, first time that's no, that's happened. No, Remember uh, Luca and Trey Young having a yeah, having to swap hats. I don't even know why they use hats at the, <laughs> the no, NBA I mean, draft. It happens not, frequently you're, you're enough. You're not going to need them. And you don't need them uh, for, for certain. So that's something that we'll definitely keep an eye on here a week from the day is we get ready to break down the NBA draft. But congratulations to the Denver Nuggets celebrating and enjoying their championship parade today. The final drive on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back. Hey, this is former Mobile TV sportscaster Eric Clemens, and when I'm in town, I listen to 105.5 FM Sports Radio, WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Thursday afternoon. want to thank everyone for having us locked in, whether it's in the car or on the app, for sure. You can give us a call 251-694-1055 or correspond with us in the app. And, of course, you know, there, there's been some OTAs and some mandatory mini camps going on in the NFL. And I know a couple of days ago, the Indianapolis Colts had an opportunity, their quarterback had an opportunity to bring up a clip. And he was talking about how he when he gets up to the mic, one of the first things he does talk about is want to make sure I don't get fined. And I thought that that was that pretty interesting audio. Uh, but Mike, are, are you able to pull that up? Go, go right. Let's let's play what he had to say. What's been your impression so far of kind of this lifestyle, being an NFL quarterback, being in this building, running an offense? Is it how's it measured up to kind of what you thought this would be? I'm just here, so I won't get fined. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> taking a page out of the playbook of Marshawn Lynch, I'm just here, so I don't get fined. And that's one of the great things that when you look at what's going on with the NFL, 
Not, not sure if you were able to hear that clip or not, but the NFL has a lot going on, and the mini camps are in full swing. Bryce Young, of course, being named QB1, and because he was named QB1, he completed his first offseason program. And, and just to be able to get the confidence of all of the other players, especially offensively and defensively, and sit behind Andy Dalton, the big redhead, and and learn a lot from him on how to handle himself from a huddle standpoint. I, I, that's what you want out of your QB one, and you want Frank Wright to to have the confidence in the number one overall draft pick, and he, he praised Bryce Young's. He, he praised his credit for sure, and. We we do see that the the clips are are not coming through through the the radio, and we're we're working on that to play those clips back because I know there was some great Joker clips from the Denver Nuggets parade as well as what we heard Anthony Richardson talk about also. So so we'll get back to those. But as we're preparing for the NFL season, there was a tweet that went out. And it was asking the NFL's best ever nickname, the NFL's best ever nickname. And there's been some some pretty impressive ones. When you start trying to market yourself in the NFL, prime time is Deion Sanders, of course. And, And when you can have a nickname and not even have to know what your real name is, that that honey badger is another one. Sweetness, of course, is one. Legatron, Legatron is is one of my all-time favorites. The Fridge, Refrigerator Perry, of course, is a, a tremendous nickname. The Playmaker, when you say the Playmaker, it automatically pops in, 88 pops right in your name. And one of my favorites growing up playing Tecmo Bowl was the Nigerian Nightmare. You ever heard of the Nigerian nightmare, Michael Bronner? No. That's Christian Okoye. Ah. For the Kansas City Chiefs. And I've heard of Christian Okoye. I haven't heard of the nickname the Nigerian nightmare. Absolutely one of those. Sweetness. You know who Sweetness yeah, is? Yeah, Walter Payton. Okay, all right. And, of course, Honey Badger. That That's one that, sure. that, that's one that, that you have to be. He's good. more commonly known by Honey Badger than Tyron Matthew, I'd say. Yeah, that's that's where your, your money is, for yeah. sure. Your money is definitely in your nicknames. And, like I say, the Playmaker, Megatron. You, you know, Megatron is, is one that, Come on. That, that you have to absolutely love. Mean, Joe Green. When you can have mean in front of you as a – as a defensive lineman, you absolutely know that you, you, you're ready to play football too. Pork chop is one that was pretty, pretty good. Floyd Womack uh, used pork chop as a pretty famous one. Also, it, one that a lot of people probably don't too much care for nowadays, but the juice. And we all, <laughs> you know, the juice is one of those that that definitely is is one dr doom absolutely in the app dr doom is one of those all-time great names and you you, when you market yourself I, i think a lot of players coming out have found a way to 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 market 
themselves and, and their nickname. When you, Okay, here's one for you, Bronner. The Freak. Who was called The Freak? The Freak. Yeah. We're still we're still in football here. Absolutely. <laughs> Javon Curse. Ah. Javon Curse is one. And I, I, I love the fact that here's one that's homegrown for a lot of people, not only that went in the state of Alabama from a high school standpoint, from a collegiate standpoint, that really stuck with them in the NFL. Cadillac Williams. Cadillac Williams. I mean, nothing runs finer than a Cadillac. A brand new Cadillac. And of course, you have Pac-Man Jones. Pac-Man. You, you, you ever you ever thought about how he got the nickname Pac-Man? No, I always just assumed he's good at Pac-Man, but maybe it has something to do with how he moves around the secondary. I don't know. The the Minister of Defense. Do you know who the Minister of Defense is? <laughs> That's one I've never heard, no. Reggie White. Ah, Reggie all right. White. And you can pick him whether with the Packers or the Eagles. Either way, you can go ahead and get that one. I know the bus. You know who the bus is? Yeah, Jerome Bettis. Okay. All right. The Assassin. How about the Assassin? Have you that's one I guarantee you've never heard of. Mm-mm. The Assassin. I don't think so. Jack Tatum. Jack Tatum, that's one a of new the one. hardest hitters ever. And uh, just some great nicknames. Of course, I, I told you I love the Refrigerator Perry and, and one that's a commentator now, Daryl Moose Johnston. He's one that big fullback, the Moose is a great one. The Snake, Kendon Saucer is exactly right. Ken Kenny Stabler. Stabler, exactly. Nice. It is that one that you have to absolutely love. The Toe. You know who the Toe is, Mike? The Toe? The Toe. The toe. Oh, the Toe. Yeah, the Toe. No, this is another new one. award named after him. The, it, the Toe. Lou Groza. <laughs> Lou Groza Award. I guess I should have known that's a kicker. That, there you go. Rocket Ishmael. Rocket Ishmael. Do you know about the Rocket? Uh-uh. The Rocket Ishmael. Go ahead and, and pull him up for sure. His, his speed, second to none. And even though he was a small fella, the Rocket Ishmael could flat out fly. Mercury Morris is one that you have to – Eugene Mercury Morris is one of those that I guarantee you probably a little bit before your time as well. Beast Mode, you're absolutely right, Jordan. There, There's another one. When you can have multiple nicknames, you, you know that, that you're in great shape there. The Sultan of Swat, that, that's another one. The Great Bambino – when you have a nickname, and I can call your nickname because everybody knows primetime. When you say primetime, the name pops right in your head. And sometimes your name is affiliated, Broadway Joe, a classic for what you want out of that for sure. I love, you're right, Claudel. Claudel in the app has another great one. Biscuit. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Cornelius Bennett. And that's that's classic. Biscuit. You can't go wrong there. And, and it doesn't even have to be necessarily limited to, to football. If you can have that classic name, that classic nickname that's going to sell itself, I think that you'll be put in a situation to where you're able to, to, to market yourself better than anybody else. And I think that that 
there's so many players coming through, whether it's from a NIL standpoint. You look at Kool-Aid McKinstry. Mm. Kool-Aid has signed a deal with the company. Do you even remember his, his real name anymore? Yeah, Jaquin uh You recall you had it? Jaquinsky? It's Jaquincy. Yeah. Yeah, Jaquincy. Kool-Aid. It's easy to forget though, isn't yeah, it? I mean, but he's Kool-Aid. That, that's, that's why when you have a nickname like that, you're you're sitting in a situation to where you're sitting on on money because Kool-Aid comes in out of <laughs> high school and Ed too tall. That's one. Jones. Of, that's one of my, my guy was guy was just too tall. <laughs> and and you, when you're sitting and you're what six foot seven, six foot eight. Ed Too Tall Jones. Just pick a favorites. name. Pick a nickname in sports that stands out and is all-time classic because there's so many of them. But when you can be remembered by what your nickname is, you know that, A, you're going to be in sports lore history. But as far as the NFL getting started up and with OTAs, we, we, we heard – a little bit about before we'll go back to those clips too. Billy White Shoes Johnson. There's another one. One of the greatest. I mean, Billy White Shoes Johnson. White Shoes. You don't even have to. And I love the fact that even somebody in the app t- chimed in. Electron Williams. Daryl Electron. I, I mean, he's one of those players that y- you have to remember when you're you're watching him play to to be called electron it, just the electricity that that you have it's second to none and keep them coming in the app because there are some great sports nicknames that have gone throughout the history and I know we have a caller who wants to chime in yeah, as well yeah go ahead right hey hey i got one for you guys he, this guy's only known by his nickname rod smart <laughs> i mean how do you how do you go i mean that he hate me, he hate me. Uh, that that's one of those to where you put that on the back of your jersey. He hate me. It, it pops right in. And and any others that that anyone else can think of. Thank you so much for that call. And here's another classic one: the Worm, Dennis Rodman. Just certain names you don't even have to to have. Doug Martin, the Muscle Hamster. There's an interesting one. But the worm, Dennis Rodman, I mean, he played and looked like a worm. So that's that's classic when you're starting to look for those sporting names. Someone mentioned Teapot Jones. Teapot Jones is another one. I, there's just so many great ones that you try to sit there and come away with and, and continue to help us out in the app because you guys have really come through and, and come through with some great names nicknames to where players whether it be from a high i mean here it is another one hollywood is kind of it, it it's overused a little bit but when you see ryan williams play you know his high school play has definitely been worthy of being nicknamed hollywood so the round mound of rebound charles barkley probably has the human bread truck but he said you know the round mound of rebound is another one the bus, Jerome Bettis, of course. When you say the bus, people know who you're talking about. So these nicknames, keep them coming in the app. The logo, Jerry West. I love the fact that you can say a nickname in sports history 
and remember exactly who the player is. Michael Broner, do you know who the glove is? <laughs> I don't know the glove, but I like that. The glove is Gary Payton. Okay. Gary Payton will D you up and, and stick to you like a the glove. glove. So there are so many names that have come keep them coming in the app those are some great nicknames of all-time sports legends and we started from a football standpoint and can branch out to any sport that you want to to where those nicknames are really what can help you and define you when you enter the hall of fame or at the end of your playing career revis island do you know about revis island come on he won a super bowl with the patriots all right there there you go Keep them coming in the app. The Black Mamba. Uh, uh, if you don't know who the Black Mamba is, we we got we've got problems, bro. What do you think I was born? <laughs> no, I mean, look, some of them just they escape you. And if you can't, when when you say the microwave, Benny Johnson, you just have nicknames to where the name sometimes goes first and last name goes with the nickname and just pops off. And if there's some that I don't know, I'm not scared to ask. For sure. Stew Meat is another great one. I Lee like Anderson. that one. Absolutely love that. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back. Give us a call, 251-694-1055. Hi, this is Mark Malone, former NFL quarterback. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive. And I tell you, you guys in the app have not disappointed this afternoon. You have the kid, the human joystick. Dante Hall is one. Of course, Pistol Pete Maravich. You got Pistol Pete with a name like that without a three-point line. You can't go wrong. The Yankee Clipper is definitely one. Deuce Palmer Pudge. Big shot. Rob or Bob, whichever one you want to call Big Shot, Robert Ory for sure. One of my favorites from an elementary school standpoint was the crime dog, Fred McGriff. Dominique Wilkins. You know what Dominique Wilkins' nickname was, Michael Bronner? Mm, I don't think so. Dominique Wilkins, the human highlight reel. Uh, I did know that. The human highlight reel is one you can't go wrong with. Just the nickname Junior, you also can't go wrong with. The Wizard is another one. And here's another great basketball name. If you, if you have a name like Pistol Pete, you, you've got to have one Clyde the Glide Drexler. Iceman. Do you know who the I, I guarantee you, Michael Brown, you don't know who the Iceman is. The Iceman cometh. Do you know who the Iceman is, brother? No. Oh, my goodness. Help help them out in the app, folks. Let them know who the Iceman is, the original Iceman. And, of course, you have Akeem the Dream. You know you know who that is, right? Elijah uh, one, yeah. There you go. Here's some help for you right there. The Iceman, George Gerving, George Gerving. One thing he could do, Michael, it was finger roll. One thing George Gerving could do was finger roll, my brother. So, we, mm. you, you know, teaching you and getting you schooled a little bit, you know, so because these are some, some great old school names that are coming back here. And what we've been doing is chiming in on some great 
sports nicknames. Some of the greatest sporting nicknames of all times. And it kind of started a little bit about what were the greatest NFL nicknames of all time. And then you go from a great NFL nickname to some of the best nicknames sport-wise of all time. And do you know who the wizard the wizard is considered? Just the wizard. The, the wizard. No, I haven't heard the wizard. The wizard was born here in Mobile, Alabama. All right? The wizard played a little baseball. He's a Hall of Famer. The Wizard. Folks in the app, help, help Michael Bronner out Baseball a little Baseball born in Mobile the wizard. named The Wizard. Yeah, The Wizard. Izzy. Izzy. Uh. You know you know Izzy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Look, one thing I love about Michael Bronner is the fact that He's a young fellow who, who's learning on the job. That's what I love about Michael Bronner, man. This is great stuff. You guys are bringing out the Swiss Army Knight. The Wizard. The Big Hurt. Boogie Cousins. Wizard That's of Oz, Ozzy Smith. The, the Wizard, man. I'm telling you. Iron Man Cal Ripken. I didn't know he's from Mobile. Hey, look. Born in Mobile. I will say that. You look at where he was born right here. The greatest sports nicknames of all time. You can keep them coming. Of course, 5 o'clock. We have the Tide and Tiger Report. Drew DeArmond will join us to let us know about Alabama's schedule. And from a recruiting standpoint, Philip Dukes scheduled to join us from an Auburn standpoint. The Tide and Tiger Report coming up next. But keep these nicknames coming. This is the Tide and Tiger Report on 105.5 FM WNSP. An hour of the latest news and reports from the Plains and the Capstone with Corey LaBounty and Michael Bronner. Brought to you by State Farm Agent Heath Parker and Dr. Chris Walton of Premier Medical Eye Group. Streaming live on the Sound of Mobile app, here are Corey and Michael. Welcome to the Tide and Tiger Report here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Bronner, joining you this evening. want to thank everyone for tuning in. And, of course, the last couple of hours, you guys can keep it coming in the app in regards to the best sports nicknames of all time. Because some of them, when they come across, we're just we're trying to to keep my man Michael Bronner updated on some of the old school athletes. That when you just say a nickname, it automatically their full name just pops in your head. And somebody whose name pops in our head for outstanding Alabama coverage, ninety-seven point seven, the Zone ESPN's host of Talking Football in Huntsville, Drew DeArmond joins us. Drew. How's it going this evening, my partner? Good, uh, Corey LeBounty and Michael. How are you guys doing, man? Uh, I'm uh, just getting out of the uh, barbershop. Got to get ready to go on the road this weekend. And I think it's the last time I saw you, man, uh, about a year ago. We're going back to Hoover this weekend for the live period, NCAA, live period, HSAA puts that together. And uh, we're going to be there for a couple of days. And then we're going to go to Lake Point, Georgia, and play some more. It's a... The month of June is a great one if you love hoops. I know you do, too. But uh, I hope to see you there. But I know you're now in my business, too. So I know you got a lot to work with and work on. But uh, looking forward to being on with you and talking some ball. 
Absolutely. And I hate that I am going to miss you in Birmingham this weekend because, you know, you're always trying to sharpen up your your officiating skills. It's something that the state of Alabama and really the country is in a shortage of is officials. And of course, the AHSAA having all its play dates for the basketball programs. And it's a place for the referees to go and, and be evaluated to hopefully move up that referee and ladder. And I know Drew, Alabama, not necessarily moved up the ladder, but are having an opportunity here when this scheduling unveil came out on yesterday, having home games in 2024 against Auburn, Georgia, Missouri, South Carolina, and going on the road taking on the LSU Tigers, the Oklahoma Sooners, the Tennessee Volunteers, and the Vanderbilt Commodores? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a daunting schedule, guys. I mean, no question about it. Uh, you know, when you have to uh, you know, go on the road to LSU, to Norman, Oklahoma, to Tennessee, we saw how that was last year. Those three road games will not be easy. Don't forget, uh, they're going to go to Camp Randall. And I believe that's going to be in early September uh, to face a big tempo. And Luke Fickle, who's an underrated coach, uh, that's going to be an interesting matchup. It would be year two for Luke uh, in uh, Wisconsin. They'll have to travel up there early and face a big tempo. So it's definitely going to be a tough schedule. There's no doubt about it. It's very strange knowing that they're not going to play uh, you know, Mississippi State for the first time since 1947. They're not going to play Ole Miss. And it's even weirder that neither is all. So both those squads have long histories against the Rebels and the Bulldogs, but uh, they're not going to play either one of them, at least in 2024. So that's going to be interesting. Really, you know, focused really on 23 right now, but it is exciting to know that Oklahoma and Texas are going to be in this league, and uh, they're certainly going to bring a lot of, uh, you know, tradition to it, a lot of uh, pageantry, and then good football. I mean, it's going to be the best football league in the country, and I'll stick by what I said. Every year when they when they when they start this 2025, I believe, or excuse me, 2024, I should say. I'm sorry, uh, college football playoff, 12 teams. You'll get at least two SEC teams in because of the two that get to the SEC championship game. But don't be surprised if it's at least three or four because I think the league is going to be that strong. Yeah, with some of these schedules, <laughs> Drew, isn't it? I mean, could you see a situation where a three-loss team could make the playoff? Well, you know, it's possible. Uh, you know, I think in many ways a lot of the national media will try to keep that from happening. Uh, and I think there will be a lot of people banging the drum. But, you know, say you lose the three top ten teams. I mean, you know, if you're Auburn or you're Alabama, Alabama hasn't lost three games in a season since 2010. But if you're somebody – or like an LSU last year – uh, you know, when you lose the SEC championship game, but yet you've got some really good wins on your resume. When you when you start getting down to 10, 11, 12, I don't think it's beyond the possibility that that could happen. Um, I definitely think two loss SEC teams, like last year, for example, uh, I still think uh, that Tennessee, they definitely would have been in, uh, even losing to South Carolina. Uh, they have that kind of quality football team, so no doubt about it. I, but I do think with the strength of the SEC, there's going to that, that opportunity will present itself, and it'll at least be a conversation. And uh, that's what Greg Sankey would, is going to want. And I do think they're going to go to nine. I think what they're doing right now for a year or two is they're going to hold ESPN's feet to the fire. They're going to 
try to get more money out of them and then go to the six with three rotating model, which I'm in favor of because then you play everybody in the conference every two years. Uh, and then they'll play the old Misses in the States. And, and then when you interrupt these series, you're not really interrupting them if you play everybody every two years, which is the best, uh, I think, thing for the SEC. But it's going to be interesting. I do think there are chances in the future for a three-loss team from the SEC anyway to get in. Who do you think got the shortest end of the stick with these schedules in 2024 at least? Well, that's a that's a great question. I mean, you know, Georgia's schedule completely flips because they've got an easy one. I think a layup to try to go to three feet, and uh, they're going to have a, a very challenging one when you talk about opening probably with Clemson in Atlanta because I know they haven't announced you know the dates yet. But then you also have to play, uh, you know. Uh, you got to play Tennessee. You got to play Auburn. You got to play Florida. Billy Napier may have it rolling by then. Lane Kiffin can be a flying moment. You got to play Texas, uh, Kentucky. I think Georgia got a really difficult schedule, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, yeah, you know, and I, and I will say, um, you know, another school that I think got a difficult draw too, in some ways, uh, you know, is and of course they're taking a knife to a gunfight a lot of times. But is uh, is Missouri because they've got uh, Auburn, they've got Alabama, they've got Oklahoma, they've got Texas A&M. Uh, that's a, that's kind of a tough gauntlet for them with with how they compete. So uh, it's going to be really interesting, though. Uh, you know, for for the next couple of years through 24 at least, and see how Oklahoma and Texas, uh, you know acclimate themselves because right now they would be middle of the pack teams in the SEC and they in Oklahoma especially under Lincoln Riley they were ruling the Big 12. Texas has been up and down. Sark's trying to get them uh, you know back uh, you know uh, competing at the top of the Big 12 but the thing is they better be ready to to really kick it into high gear because this is where the big boys play. Uh, it's the late great Dusty Rose used to say when you're going to the pay window you got to be ready to roll and so these two teams they've been able to dominate the Big 12 but I, I was listening to somebody talk about Oklahoma's home, home and away schedule last year. It's going to look completely different when you're talking about 2024 when you're talking about uh, you've got Texas and Dallas, you've got Alabama uh, you know at home you've got Tennessee, you got South Carolina and then you've got to travel to LSU Auburn, Ole Miss, and Missouri, so uh, that's going to be difficult, man. I mean, it's going to be a lot more difficult than the Big 12, and there's not going to be nearly as much margin for error, especially if you want to make the college football playoff. Now, as you said, the league's deeper. It'll give you a chance to still get in, but I'm just saying, you could come out flat in the Big 12 and win, and and defensively, that's where I think the biggest improvement's going to have to be made for both Texas and Oklahoma. I don't... they're going to be a product of the SEC, so you either get better or you get buried. But uh, And don't forget, I think people forget, Missouri, when Gary Pinkle had it rolling, they got to the SEC championship game twice early early on their first two years in the conference. They got smoked both times, but they got to the championship game. So I'm going to be interested to see how Brent Venables adjusts and, of course, uh, Steve Sarkeesian. And Sark's really got to get it going quick. Or You know how Texas is. They're impatient. They'll be knocking on Urban Meyer's door again. We're speaking with Drew DeArmond, host of Talking Ball on Huntsville's 97.7 The Zone. Of course, that being on Monday through Friday, 7 to 9 a.m. He also is a contributor for Tider Insider. And looking at the Crimson Tides 23 schedule, also 
including non-conference fro Wisconsin. That that's a game to where Alabama, you know, you always love those beginning of the year matchups. It kind of reminds me of the Chick-fil-A Bowl, whether it was Clemson or whether it was Duke. You you find that game that's gonna really keep you sharp and on your toes. And the Wisconsin game for the Crimson Tide should do that. Yeah, you know, it'll be Saturday, September the 14th. Like I said, Corey, it's going to be early um, in the schedule, and they're going to open the first two weeks with Western Kentucky and then and, and USF. Now, they're going to go to Tampa this year. USF will give them the return game in 24, but it'll be their first true road game after Camp Randall. And it kind of like when they played Penn State in 2010, uh, you know, and the win went on the road, and, or excuse me, in 2011, let me correct myself, they played Penn State at home in 2010 for the first time in many, many years. So that's going to be a little bit nostalgic taking on a Big Ten team. Uh, like I said, they just faced Luke Fickle's team in the playoff a couple of years ago in 2021 when they whacked, uh, you know, Cincinnati. Uh, but I thought he got the most out of that program. I thought it was a really good hire for Wisconsin. So that's, going to, that's not going to be an easy game because Wisconsin's going to be a very physical and fundamentally sound football team. The question is, are they going to have the speed and the athleticism uh, to play with an Alabama but it's a very intriguing road test for Alabama, and it should take away any question about schedule strength. I know there's been some consternation about the SEC only playing eight games, but it's still the toughest league in the country. And when you've got your two flagship programs right now, Alabama going to Wisconsin and Georgia opening with Clemson on a neutral field, I don't think there's any question. You can't question at least those two teams' schedule strength at all. Well, another thing you can't question is – you're looking at some of these reports athletically from the amount of money that was made in 2022 for these athletic departments in Alabama right there at number three with $214 million amassed in making money, not losing money, but making money. Alabama continues to upgrade facilities across the campus. Of course, talks are that Coleman Coliseum maybe. It may stay where it is, but as far as relocating to a new basketball arena, especially with the success that Nate Oates has put in this program, Alabama not struggling financially from an athletic department standpoint. Well, they're starting to get it back. I mean, certainly COVID hurt everyone, Corey. That, that's 100% fact. But, you know, I, you know, when you win and you, and, you, and you start building it, they will come. And I think Alabama is slowly but surely getting it back rolling financially now. Uh, because of the economy still being in slow recovery, building materials and everything has skyrocketed. The, the price tag on the arena that just a couple years ago they had gotten approved through the Crimson Standard has gone up $100 million. So they're still raising money for that. Uh, but certainly sooner rather than later they want to get it built. I still think it'll be built near, uh, you know, uh, road the Rhodes House, near the softball field. Like you said, they will keep uh, Coleman Coliseum for other uses, uh, but it's 50 years old. They need to build a new arena, and they need to do so if they want to keep Nate Oates. I mean, Nate's been patient. He knew that uh, NIL also was a delay because you have to get your collective going in order because this is the world we live in right now. Uh, you know, you probably aren't going to see any regulation for NIL for at least two to three years. So 
in this climate, you've got to be able to compete at the highest level, and to do so, you've got to have your collective going, and Alabama certainly does. I think that's one of the reasons they got Grant Nelson, uh, one of the biggest transfers on the market. I and mean, that's the way you have to, to operate to compete in this climate. I mean, it got players get poached. I mean, we've already seen one potentially in baseball from Alabama. Uh, we'll see if he ultimately decides to leave. But Colby Shelton, 25 home runs, 51 RBIs, uh, you know, a school record for bombs for a freshman at Alabama, third most all-time in a season uh, next to Doug Duke and Ken Mathis. He's in the transfer portal. We saw this happen with LSU getting Paul Skeens and Tommy White last year, and they're now in Omaha. So you've got to be able to compete in this climate. The collective is important, but like you said, Alabama, their athletics are strong right now. Uh, they have had good attendance. They have had generosity from their donors, and it needs to continue if you're going to compete at the highest level because as you heard Nick Saban say a couple of weeks ago, that's the reason they went to see Congress. This is not like an NFL franchise where the owner is trying to generate money to pay his bills and to make a living. This is revenue generated, but they put it all back into the school and the athletic program and to help the student athletes. And that's what they're doing with the collectives. That's what they're doing with NIL. And that's what Alabama's doing with their facilities. So, yes, they're starting to come out of that uh, the COVID situation, which is good. And I think Alabama athletics are strong right now, and I think it got stronger uh, with their baseball hire uh, just a couple of days ago. Yeah, let's talk about the uh, Grant Nelson transfer for a minute. Obviously, it, it was big, especially after losing out on Arthur Kaluma to Kansas State. What do you think of Alabama's roster right now? Are they going to make more additions? They still have two more open roster spots. How much of a difference does Grant Nelson make without the addition of Arthur Kaluma as well? Well, I mean, I think, you know, what they their original plan, they thought Charles Bediaco was going to come back. The only curveball they've been thrown the whole offseason was they were shocked when Bediaco, they knew he was going to get feedback. They were totally, uh, you know, okay with it. They thought he would come back for his junior year. He did not. He decided to stay in the draft. So, uh, you know, their number one target was probably Kobe Brown, uh, who's from my backyard. And if he had, take, he had taken himself out of the draft, but he did not, I think he might have gone portaling if he had. Uh, and they would have had a good shot at him, but he stayed in the draft. And then kind of 1B was, was Grant Nelson, and they've been working on it for a while. Uh, Arkansas they knew was in the mix, Baylor, Florida State. But he's a perfect fit for Nate Oates' system. He can play the four. He can play the five. Uh, you know, he can stretch. They can even play five out with him. It's kind of like when they had Noah Clowney at center some last year. So, you know, it, it's going to be interesting, though, because Kaluma was actually a backup plan for Grant Nelson. But then when a couple of their other options, uh, you know, went away, like a Kobe Brown, uh, you know, then Kaluma kind of – the ante was upped a little bit and when Charles, they knew Bediaco wasn't coming back. So they definitely were interested in Kaluma. Uh, he was slated to visit this week, but as y'all said, uh, he committed to Jerome Tang in Kansas State, so he's off the board. I think the next guy to watch is a young man that they're wanting to reclassify. Uh, his name's Jaron Stevenson. Uh, you know, he's uh, from uh, the, the state of North Carolina. His mother's actually uh, a three-year uh, uh, time All-ACC player at Carolina. But, you know, North Carolina wants him to stay in the 24 class. They don't really have playing time available for him. And Alabama is trying to sell him that he can be like a Noah Clowney and get playing time this year. So it's going to be really interesting if the native of Pittsburgh, North Carolina, reclassifies. If he does, then I think the 6'10 young man, who still needs to add weight, uh, you know, uh, I think he has that. I do think, though, that uh, Jaron Stevenson could be a guy that could – 
give them some rim protection and reclassify and help Grant Nelson out and balance the roster because they're loaded at guard, loaded with experience at guard, especially with Sears and J.Q. Javon Quinterly coming back. But they need some more size. And uh, I think, you know, uh, the addition of Grant Nelson certainly helps. But I would think they're going to add one more big. And then they'll keep probably the other scholarship open. And around January, if a guy like Aiden Sherrill has made enough progress academically, I could see the Detroit native potentially doing what Davin Cosby is, maybe joining the team in January. R.J. Johnson, he had committed to Nate Oates. And, of course, Coach Petway goes on and takes that head coaching job at Kennesaw State. R.J. Johnson from the state of Alabama decides to go ahead and sign with Coach Petway. I think that's a great move. And I just wasn't quite sure where R.J. was going to fit on the Crimson Tides roster. Yeah, I agree with you, Corey. I think R.J., I'm not sure there would have been a lot of playing time, especially in his first year with all the guards Alabama had returning. I think it's a really good fit uh, for uh, for R.J. to go play for Coach Petway, who's grinded. You know him well. Uh, you know, Wilcox Central, Alabama, overachiever, a guy that uh, went to Bama as a walk-on but didn't stay a walk-on long and, uh, you know, became a, a fan favorite of all time and has really coached the majority of his career with the University of Alabama with a short stint at Jacksonville State. Finally gets a chance at, you know, a program that made the NCAA tournament last year, is in good shape. Uh, he brings Willie Watson with him from UUNA, who I know Willie. He's done a, he did a great job for Coach Pujol, who was also a former assistant at Bama. And I think he's put together a solid staff over there at Kennesaw. He definitely was a big fan of RJ, so he will have a chance to develop him there. Uh, I think the mid the mid major uh, level for RJ is a good one because he'll get more playing time, be able to develop quicker. Uh, and and Petway, you know, is a is a guard oriented guy, so I think he'll fit the style of play. And I like Juson Holt. Uh, Juson didn't quite get on the floor a lot at Alabama. He went to Georgia, had a few bright moments, but he's also going to have to get a waiver. But he's transferred to Kennesaw State. That's another young man that Antoine recruited. So I'm anxious to see how Pet does. You know, and uh, early on uh, at Kennesaw State, I think he can do well. And as you know, Corey, uh, you've been to uh, you know uh, probably to Lake Point. You know the talent in the state of Georgia. There's a ton of players there, and if Petway can get a pipeline going, uh, you know there's there's only so many five-star guys, but there's a lot of guys that can play mid-major basketball, and he may not have to leave the state of, of uh, Georgia much to get players, so I'm excited for his opportunity. Absolutely there. Drew, as I have you this last minute or two, uh, earlier in our show here, the final drive, we were talking about some of the greatest sporting nicknames of all time, right? And, of course, from an Alabama standpoint, you, you, you start thinking about the history of Alabama football or basketball, for that matter, or any sport. You can say Broadway Joe, and the name, who that is, pops right into your brain. And here recently, of course, we mentioned Kool-Aid, McKinstry, popping right in there and any other names besides Mount Cody that you can think of from one of the greatest Alabama athletes or nicknames of all time that I'm omitting there I know Big Shot Rob is another one any other ones that you can think of that I'm leaving out yeah I got three three of my all-time favorites the deuce which is of course David Palmer okay. or anybody that grew up in my generation uh, that's still the most electric football player I've ever seen in an Alabama uniform. It would be illegal 
for him to play in this in this kind of football now. I, I asked George Stig about that when he came to, to, to Huntsville to speak before last football season, and he said, look, we couldn't tackle him, and who could now? And that's one, and that, and I still think the '92 defense is the best of all time. But Alabama, uh, I've got one, I've got another one in football from your area down there, the Snake, yep. Kenny Stabler, yep. yes, sir. Uh, from Foley, Alabama. And then, of course, one, my, one of my one of my personal favorites, basketball wise, and that's Hollywood, James Hollywood Robinson, uh, who uh, you know so, uh, I still remember uh, vividly. Uh, went pro after his junior year at Alabama, was a big-time scorer, averaged 40 points per game, was a McDonald's All-American coming out of Murrah High School and uh, played several years in the NBA. I think he now lives in Las Vegas, but uh, he's still a very proud Alabama alum. And so uh, that's just three off the top of my head. Uh, that uh, and, and then and then uh, Rooster too, which was of course Gary Rutledge, yeah. uh, who uh, was a redhead, who was a, the uh, older brother of Jeff Rutledge, who played quarterback in the early '70s for Coach Bryant running the wishbone. Encyclopedia DeArmond. I love it. I love it. I love the knowledge that you drop. Again, we had a great time with these all-time great sporty nicknames, and just wanted to keep it relevant to you with the Alabama Crimson Tide. Drew, I can't thank you enough for taking time in the Tide and Tiger Report here on WNSP and joining us. And I want to make sure you tell Christian I said hello. Uh, I, I still got to get my my Panthers T-shirt there from Huntsville for sure. And you guys definitely have safe travels. And how can everyone follow all your stupendous coverage of the Crimson Tide? Absolutely, man. They can follow me on Twitter at DrewD977 ESPN. Uh, also, our station at 977ESPN. All of our content is posted on our 977 The Zone uh, SoundCloud page. And don't forget our new Twitter account, too. Our streaming channel that's almost a year old, the Blitz Sports Radio. I have my recruiting Blitz show. Uh, we have a, we feature a lot of coaches, student athletes, and and uh, insiders, and uh, we're going to talk some Auburn recruiting tomorrow with Cole Pinkston. So we're looking forward to that. And before I go, let's not forget a great friend of uh, mine, uh, of of my boss, Wes Neighbors, who uh, of course uh, owns my radio station. Don't forget the biscuit, Cornelius Bennett, yeah, man. We go. always we talk. Uh, I know he talks to him on the show every now and then. Appreciate you so much, Drew. You take care, my friend. Safe travels. Thank y'all. Drew DeArmond joining us this evening on the Tide and Tiger Report. We'll be right back with Philip Dukes talking Auburn. Hi, this is Bill Hancock, Executive Director of the College Football Playoff, and you are listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Once again, Corey and Michael. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report. Corey LeBounty along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Thursday evening. And we want to thank everyone for making sure that you're tuned in, locked and loaded, and, of course, you can reach us in the app or you can give us a call at 251-694-1055. And we've had the Tide portion of the Tide and Tiger show here on WNSP. Now it's time for the Tiger edition and want to welcome in making his debut, Philip Dukes. Dukes the Scoop on Twitter is joining us here. Philip, thanks for joining us. How's everything going this evening? 
Well, it's a, it's a beautiful day on the plains, right? Uh, I'm in Atlanta, and I can hear the excitement or feel the excitement from uh, 85 South. Uh, the Tigers really pulled off a huge recruiting battle today, uh, today with uh, the commitment of linebacker Joseph Phillips, a really good player. Um, and you go head-to-head with Georgia, a lot of positive momentum, and uh, it's a really, really good day for Auburn fans. Dukes, I, I will say this. You're absolutely right from any time you're able to beat out Georgia or any other schools, especially Georgia being at the top of the list. Tennessee, I know, was probably on his list, too. But Auburn, it's been pretty busy here within the last couple of days as they've also had Bryce Kane from right here in Mobile, Alabama, and Baker High School, a young man entering his second year of high school football. He can flat out fly, though, from that wide receiver standpoint. I know that's a great addition for the Auburn Tigers also. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Bryce Kane is one of the, those guys that you, probably, you can put him in a phone booth and not touch him. He, he's that elusive. Uh, he, a little bit on the smaller side from what Hugh Freeze and company have been picking up this year. But when you think about the explosion and what you need to make those type of offensive work, offenses work, if you go back and look at what Philip Montgomery was able to do while he was uh, the head coach at Tulsa, he always had a guy that you could just get the ball to really, really fast in space and let him make a play. And I think Bryce Kane fits that mold to a T. Kinsley Faustin was the other player that committed on the same day that Bryce Kane did. And of course, Kinsley being that five foot 11, 170 pound four star defensive back out of the state of Florida. Anytime you're able to dip into the state of Florida, where you have the Gators, where you have the hurricanes, where you have the Seminoles, Hugh Freeze, again, working his magic, trying to get that roster a little bit more solidified for this 2024 season. And uh, and uh, Kinsley Fawcett is one of the type of guys that you need in a secondary that can, that can really be that Swiss Army knife, so to speak. He plays a multitude of positions. If you look at where uh, Auburn, has had the has had in the past those type of guys who can play a little bit of safety, drop down and be that uh, that nickel back who can also play a little bit of corner. Uh, you can definitely see him on the boundary side. Uh, I think the most important thing about this is that he knew where he wanted to go as soon as he got the okay. And you, and I think what's really important about rebuilding the culture in Auburn is about getting guys who want to be there, who want to be the part, who want to be a part of the magic that goes along with Jordan Hare and on the plane. So I think getting a, a guy who can play multiple positions in the secondary, especially when you look at Ron Roberts, the defensive coordinator who came over from Baylor, his system runs a lot of the three three five four two five, but the consistency is the fifth guy. That's that nickelback or that's always going to be in the game uh, with those alignments. And I think Foston is a guy who, once he becomes who he's going to be. And one thing I did really like, uh, not to veer off subject, what I really did like about what Foston had to say is he's not a transfer portal guy. He's a guy that wants to come in, work, learn from the older guys, wait until it's time, and he's that confident in his ability that by the time it is his time, 
he doesn't think he'll come off the field. And with his versatility, I would tend to agree with him. We're talking to Philip Dukes making his debut on the final drive. He covers Auburn for CBS in 24-7. Philip, the, uh, obviously the big topic of the day today has been the 2024 schedule being released for Auburn. Nothing really new in the fact that yeah, they're the only team in the country that's going to be traveling to Tuscaloosa and to Athens in the same year, which they already do every other year. Uh, any other like surprises or your thoughts on the, the slate for Auburn in general? As an Auburn alum uh, who gets to cover uh, my alma mater, I would say that the LSU game being deleted from the schedule, not that rivalry um, was really big when I was in school. Uh, you know, the away team always had issues. And uh, I think that uh, seeing that schedule, that game come off the schedule was probably the biggest shocker. I felt like there was going to be some kind of way that you had to make but you've got, um, I would say, the LSU for Auburn fan. LSU is probably the third biggest game of the year besides uh, Auburn and Georgia, excuse me, Alabama and Georgia. So uh, that was a bit of a shocker. But you, but you can understand um, how that happened, why it happened, and uh, as far as adding somebody at the caliber of Oklahoma to the schedule, I think that's going to be really exciting. You get to bring the Sooners to Jordan Hare, so they get a taste of the magic of. That's their like you know their first entry into Jordan here from what I know. So I think there are some exciting things that are coming along with the schedule. But I was definitely disappointed to see that LSU wouldn't be a part. Yeah, that's the first time LSU hasn't been a part of Auburn's schedule since 1991, and of course, no Ole Miss for the first time since 1989, no Mississippi State for the first time since 1954, and the first time they haven't played a combination of those three since 1933 so it's been a while and right. with divisionless football coming up what what are your thoughts on divisionless football moving forward here in 2024 and the fact that as the college football playoffs are expanding that you could possibly have a three loss team coming out of the SEC knowing that the teams that are ranked in front of you are probably in the top five yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's just where college football is going, and it's one of those things that it, it, it helps you kind of, I, I, I guess, hold on to the nostalgia a little bit closer. Uh, you just want to kind of just say, hey, you remember the good old days sometimes? But as a guy, see, I'm 40 years old, and I'm thinking of the quote-unquote good old days, but now in order for – and as I'm covering these, uh, these younger athletes, and they don't have those memories. So all they know is what we see now. So in order for the, the tried-and-true, diehard fans to adapt, we just have to get used to where the game is going. And as sad as it is to say, uh, I, I, I personally believe in divisional football. I think that it's really important. I think that it has always been something that kind of created a sense of pride within the division. For example, even if I was to run into an LSU fan in the, air, in the airport in Atlanta and they're going against Georgia, it's beat Georgia, right? So as an SEC West guy. So I think sometimes uh, the divisional football has, I guess, uh, unsaid or, or, or it does provide things that you won't get from divisionless football. But as I said before, uh, the game is ever-changing. The only thing that's been constant and consistent in college football is change. And I think that uh, uh, college football fans across the country are just going to have to get used to it. 
We're speaking with Philip Dukes, of course. He mentioned he is an Auburn alum, sports writer at CBS Sports and at 24-7 Sports and also Auburn 24-7. And you can find him at Twitter, at Dukes the Scoop. And I absolutely love that name. But the fact that when we are still talking about Auburn and Hugh Freeze, and he also has five in-state commitments in the class of 2024 and one of those finest being Andalusia running back Jamarian Burnett along with defensive back Amon Lane some of these guys have as openly said look they're shutting down their recruiting to go ahead and help recruit other guys and you know thanks but no thanks to these other colleges who are showing interest outside of wanting to be in Auburn yeah, it's huge, and I think one of the biggest things. So you get a, you hear a lot about what uh, former Auburn head coach uh, Brian Harson did to hurt Auburn in recruiting, and uh, one of the biggest stories that came out, or the biggest biggest narratives, was that Harson was not visiting the Alabama high schools last year. There was a big article that came out, and you know whether it was true or not, the the. The perception was that Harson didn't care about putting, didn't care enough about putting that fence up around Alabama. What I can say is that Hugh Freeze, when he first he got his first visits, he made sure that they were local visits. He went and checked on every commit that he had in Alabama and every guy that was supposedly favoring Auburn or thinking about Auburn around uh, around National Signing Day. And I think that his ability to to build the type of culture where it says we want to start at home. Alabama, there's no way Alabama should have gotten all – there's no way – excuse me, let me phrase that differently. There's no way that Auburn shouldn't have gotten more of the top players in Alabama last year. And I think that Hugh Freeze is dedicated to making sure that there is not another year in recruiting like 2023 was for Auburn when it comes to recruiting the state of Alabama. So having guys like Amon Lane who jumped in a boat early, who's, who's a very popular player on the 7-on-7 seven seven circuit in Alabama, as well as Fat Burnett, uh, I think uh, Jamarian Burnett, nicknamed Fat, but as well as a Fat Burnett who's saying, hey, look, Auburn is the place for us. We want to get Auburn back to where it used to be. And there is an option in state in the SEC for top flight players in Alabama, not in Tuscaloosa. And I think that's huge. I agree with you. I know the fact that when Tommy Tuberville was able to win six consecutive Iron Bowls versus Alabama, a lot of that had to do with his coaching staff continuing to have a pipeline in Mobile, Alabama. And I think a lot of that changed with the fact when Nick Saban became the head coach. But the fact that Auburn has had no problem coming down here to the 251 and picking and plucking the best from Mobile and Baldwin County you, you look at, again, Roger McCrary decided to make that decision to come from Mobile to go to Auburn and, and look at his career now. Five years after leaving Williamson, he's he's in the NFL and is, and is a top draft pick by the Titans. So it definitely can be done, but it definitely starts with recruiting for sure. No, absolutely. And I, and I come from the era of the uh, DeAndre Greens and uh, yeah. uh, DeMarco McNeils and uh, Marcus White from Theodore. Like, South Alabama was somewhere that Auburn was able to make his bones, and you saw it consistently play, pay dividends 
on the football field. So I think that getting back down to uh, into the two five one, as you say, is really important. And those guys are so popular when it comes to the state of Alabama. Yeah, and it's they're, not they're the just because, because Mobile has its own entity. Mobile has Mardi Gras. Mobile is dope. that whole area down there is special, and they play a really good brand of football. It's really fast. It's really physical, and it and it. And it really translates well into the SEC. And if Auburn wants to continue to be successful or kind of regain some of that success that they had early on in the early 2000s, they're going to have to make sure that they create that pipeline back to Southern Alabama. Well, let's go over under right here. Michael Braun and I had this discussion and have continued to have it about the win total for the Auburn Tigers next year. And we'll go with UMass. I'm going to say that that's a W for Hugh Freeze when he opens up. Going over to the left coast and playing California, I still think that Auburn's going to be prepared and are going to win that game. They have Samford at home. I think that's a W. And then Texas A&M. I think that's the biggest thing, Philip, to see. Can they turn that corner against Texas A&M? Well, I think we'll learn a lot about Auburn when they go cross-country to Cal. Uh, Cal is uh, – they play in the Pac-12. It's uh, not the SEC, but flying across country with a new head coach, a new scheme, seeing if you understand what, what goes on when the – the, when, I guess when the cars are kind of stacked against you a little bit. Uh, you're you're, by, you're going back three time zones, so I think that's a really important game as a kind of barometer as where Auburn is at that point of the year. Um, I think that if Auburn does get you some quality quarterback play, whether it's Robbie Ashford, whether it's Peyton Thorne, whether it's Holden Garner, whoever, the, if if you don't lose the game at quarterback, I think the defense is going to be good enough to keep you in every game, and I think whoever gets the best quarterback play between Texas A&M and Auburn to win that game, if I had to go with it right now, I would probably go Auburn based on momentum. Philip Dukes, how can people follow all your tremendous coverage of not only Auburn recruiting, but just getting inside the Auburn Tigers program for sure? So make sure you uh, get the 24-7 sports where you get all my VIP information. Uh, we also got a guy by the name of Christy Clemente, who's an absolute machine. But to follow me on social media, at Dukes D Scoop, D-U-K-S-T-H-E-S-C-O-O-P. I love to talk football, not just Auburn. So, hey, send me a tweet and let's get the conversation going. We'll definitely have you on moving forward for sure. We want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join us here on the Tide and Tiger Report. Philip Dukes, putting it down Auburn style. We'll talk to you again very soon. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. The Tide and Tiger Report will put the finishing touches on it on the other side of this break. Hi, I'm Vern Lundquist from CBS Sports. You're listening to WNST Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Once again, Corey and Michael. Putting the finishing touches on the Tide and Tiger Report this evening. Want to thank Drew DeArmond for jumping on with this from the Zone 97.7 in Huntsville. And, of course, Philip Dukes. Joining us, of course, he's an Auburn alum and a writer for CBS Sports, uh, along with 24-7 Sports. Did a phenomenal job keeping us updated on the Tide and Tiger side of things. And, of course, to wrap up 
our final drive, 3.30, Mike Scarborough joined us, and he's from the Tiger Bait. And, of course, we had Lindsey Crosby on. And want to thank everybody for your jumping in the app today to give us some of the greatest sporty names ever in the history of sports. And we mentioned from an Alabama standpoint some of the famous athletes. Of course, from Auburn, you had Cadillac Williams and the Big Hurt, Frank Thomas, two of those great nicknames from Auburn greats in different sports. And tomorrow here on the final drive, we're going to talk about the Florida Gators schedule. Is it the toughest in the SEC for 2024? Andrew Spivey will join us. We'll have Brooks Austin to talk about the Georgia Bulldogs schedule. Bart Sessions, the head football coach of the Alma Bryant Hurricanes, will also join us. And special guest scheduled to join us at the top of the show, David Aldridge. He's an NBA Hall of Fame or journalist and has covered the NBA for several years. He's scheduled to join us tomorrow on the final drive. So, Broner, I'm glad some of these nicknames came across. You learned a little bit today, a little history lesson about the Wizard. Yeah, it was an educational day today. No question about it, and we'll bring you another educational day on Friday. Want to thank everyone for checking in to the final drive. Sorry about the audio difficulty we had. We'll bring you those clips again tomorrow. Hope everyone has a great night. We'll talk to you again on the final drive on Friday.